invite you to remain staying for our scripture reading. It comes from Psalm 139. Let's read God's good word together. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, Happy New Year, everyone. It's, uh, I guess, a little bit early. We've got, uh, what, 15 hours-ish or uh, a little bit less if you celebrate with the East Coast so you can go to bed. That's one of the strategies I like. Merry Christmas. As Pastor Mark said, it's still the Christmas season until January 6th. That's Epiphany. And, um, and I, so there's a lot going on holiday-wise. One that you might have missed um, a few weeks ago was my birthday, and uh, so uh, it, LeBron James and I were actually born in the same month. And so if you ever forget, just think, when's LeBron's birthday? Two weeks before that is mine. He and I have had pretty similar career trajectories. So like around the time he was getting his eighth start in the All-Star game, I was finishing seminary. And, you know, so pretty similar. But, uh, but this year was kind of a, it was the one before a big one. And so emotionally it felt big. I turned 39. And so I'm kind of, you know, standing at the edge of a cliff and looking down. Uh, it feels like sometimes haven't done anything crazy yet, you know, to kind of deal with midlife feelings, unless you count the two weeks I spent in the backcountry with a wool blanket and a, tar- a tarp and not much else. But, you know, aside from that, pretty good. Haven't bought any Corvettes yet. But, uh, but I've been reading and I've been learning and I learned a new word, sarcopenia. Does anyone know that word? And uh, this is what I read about um, in Harvard Health Publishing. Age-related muscle loss called sarcopenia is a natural part of aging. After age 30, you begin to lose as much as 3 to 5% per decade. And so I'm like, cool. So over the last decade, I've maybe lost 5% of my muscle mass. Do you know what's something that no one has ever said about me? That guy has muscle to spare. (laughs) Right? I mean, just not, not something that's happened. So I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking, you know, I'm looking at the second half of my life, and, you know, there are things I want to be able to do, like get up off the ground. Um, you know, I want to be able to pick up my grandkids and, and all those kinds of things and be able to keep up with them eventually. I'm not in a hurry for that, but, you know, whenever I get there, I want to be able to do those things. And so I, I, I did something a few weeks ago, uh, three weeks ago to be precise. I started working with a trainer. And so uh, we've been doing some work, doing some strength training. And the really great part about that is that next week, whenever the gym is super crowded, I'll be able to be like, oh my gosh, all these Johnny-come-latelys, like, (laughs) man, people like me who have been here for three weeks or more, you know, and all these people, I can't even get a parking spot now. So I'm looking forward to that. It's been good. You know, mostly it's emotional support that he's providing and helping me deal with the fact that I'll never be as strong as I was when I was 18. And, uh, but, but, you know, I've, I've been looking at the future and thinking about goals and that kind of thing. And of course, this is the time of year for that, right? I mean, you don't need a big birthday or, or the penultimate birthday when you can kind of claim that you're young to, for that to happen to you. Because this is the time of year when we're inundated with all kinds of marketers who are promising that this year we can be... Uh, you can have a new year and a new what? 
A new year, new year, new you. I, I see that, you know, in all of this different stuff, and, and everyone's trying to sell me their new online course that'll help me to set goals that'll really stick this year. And I don't know why, but the price always ends in seven. Like it's two ninety seven. I guess that's better than two ninety nine, which you we know to round up, right? But if it's a seven, maybe you don't. I don't. Anyway, that's bad math. But but maybe that's the psychological thing that they're going for. But it is. If you've been online, if you've seen advertising, you know that it is goal season, right? And, and this even creeps into like the church. So if you if you follow like spiritual writers and that kind of thing, it, it gets it's the same kind of thing, but it also gets spiritualized a little bit. So if you're really holy, then you can have goals for God. Right? And uh, yes, this is how many times I'm going to read my Bible. You can even make your biblical goals smart, right? And do all those kind of things. But, but it's tapping into this kind of desire that we have. We have this longing that, that maybe this next year could be different than this year. Maybe things could actually be different in the future. And the heartaches that I have and, and the things that I struggle with, maybe, maybe I can get better. Maybe those things will, will go away, or at least that I can find ways to reduce and mitigate them. And so we come up with all these things, and I think about all the things that I would like to do, like I would like to get stronger, and, and all these. And then there are the things that you've heard me talk about like six times that I still haven't done, like running a marathon. That, that box is still not checked off. Maybe this will be the year, though, right? I can get the 26.2 and, uh, and mark that off. But but even, you know, what, even if you have all of your goals laid out and you know what those things are and, and you've done resolutions using the SMART goal framework or, or the SMARTER goal framework or the SMARTEREST goal framework, which is one that I'm rolling out with a new course that is only 597. And so watch out for that. <laughs> but if you achieve everything on your list, will you be different next year? Will anything really be different? I mean, if I run a marathon, will I be any different? I don't think so. Like, I'll have a high for a couple of days. I may be obnoxious and wear my medal around. But aside from finally being able to put a 26.2 sticker on my car and maybe be having better cardio health, like, I won't be any different. That, that high will last for a few days at best, and then it'll be back to normal. And that's how it is with all of our goals. And, and I'm going to tell you something that I know you already know, but if you're like me, your behavior has not caught up with what you know in your head. And that is no amount of success will bring lasting happiness. There's nothing that we can achieve when we will finally feel like we've gotten there, like we've arrived and everything has been built up to this. And now finally, oh, I'm here and everything's good now, right? I mean, we just think if we can do all those things because eventually they're all going to fade, right? I mean, no matter how far ahead of sarcopenia I get, eventually decline is coming, right? I mean, you, you, can, you can get ahead of it, but, uh, but it's still coming. And, and so I, I think maybe a better question than what do you want to do in 2024 is who do you want to be? Who do you want to be? Because that's what you actually take with you from one year to the next. The, the accomplishments happen, and they're great, and you've got the souvenir that you can take with you, but they don't change who you are. Who you are is what actually makes a difference. And, and as we think about that, instead of thinking about a, a new year and a new you, maybe what we should think about is, is aiming for a new year and true you. New year, true you. 
Because whenever we think about these things, we think about, you know, really reinventing ourselves or becoming someone different because we, you know, getting rid of the things that we don't like. And, and all the things that we pursue to try to get that, whether that's more accomplishments, more success, higher status among our peers, greater wealth, moving into a better neighborhood, whatever that is, that those are things that, that Christian spiritual teachers refer to, these masks that we try to wear, as our false self as our false self. And uh, if, you, if you think about this, this is how uh, Richard Rohr talks about it. He says, your false self is your role, title, and personal image that is largely a creation of your own mind and attachments. And so if you're trying to think about this, one of the things that helps me to think about this concept is I think about if I've had a friend who uh, I've known for a long time, and then all of a sudden they get a girlfriend, and it's like, I don't know this person anymore. Have you ever had a friend like that? Like all of a sudden you're like, I've known you for a decade. I never knew that you owned a comb. Like <laughs> this is new. And, um, and, you know, last week you were talking about professional wrestling and, and this week suddenly you're into like Russian novelists. It's like, is that Dostoevsky you're carrying around? Like, have you cracked that or is that just a prop? You know, like all of a sudden this person is totally different and you can clearly see, you know, the before and the after and you can tell this is just a mask, right? They're just acting different because they want to impress this person, and, uh, and it's maybe more pronounced at that point in our lives whenever we're doing things like that. And yet that's the same kind of thing that all of us try to do, right? I mean, we put on the mask of successful professional or we put on the mask of like parent who has it all together. Does anyone try to wear that one? That one's particularly hard to wear well. Like the cracks are pretty visible. But we have all of these different masks that we try to wear. And you think about one of the things that, uh, that the, one of the ways Pastor Mark talks about this is if you're having a conversation with you and they ask you who you are and you think about how would you answer that question? And a lot of times we'll answer like, well, you know, I'm, if you ask me, I, I'm a pastor. And, and then you say, no, that's, that's not who you are. That's what you do. Well, I'm, I'm a dad. I'm Elsie and Cece's dad. And, and, and that's the people you're related to, but it's not who you are. All of these things are accumulate and, and they're even good but they're not who we are. And if we want to become who God created us to be, we have to let go of our false selves. We have to let go of all of these things that we hold on to, to, to try to, to put on a good face for other people to, or to feel like we have meaning or like we've accomplished something. We have to let go of that. And, uh, and this is, I think, what Jesus is talking about whenever he says this in Matthew 16. He says, For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? And so what's he talking about whenever he says losing your life for his sake? I think what he's really talking about is losing the things that we cling to, losing the things that we hold on to in order to grab on to the things that are true and, and to, to grab on to him, to seek those things, to seek our identity in him and not all of the external trappings, not seeking our identity in all the masks that we try to wear. And this is how, uh, this is how Thomas Merton talks about it. He says, all sin starts with the assumption that my false self is the fundamental reality to which everything else in the universe is ordered, right? That, that, you know, I'm at the center and everything is about me and everything needs to conspire for me to be successful. And this is how he continues. He says, thus, I use up my life and the desire for pleasures and the thirst for experiences, for power, honor, knowledge, and love to clothe this false self and construct its nothingness into something objectively real. Does that sound like a way you want to live your life? 
to try to take something that's nothing and just clothe it so that it looks real. Sometimes that's how we feel, though. Whenever we're pursuing a goal, whenever we're pursuing something that's important to us, and, and we finally accomplishment, accomplish it, and we're waiting you know, for the feelings that we think are going to go with it, for the sense of meaning that we think it's going to bring, and we realize you know, that that may have been a good thing to do, but, but it's just like we've put on clothes on nothing. It's, it's not actually a, a real, in the deepest sense. And the true self... Is, is the identity that's given to us by God at our creation. It's who we fundamentally are before we start accumulating layers on the outside. For some reason, I keep thinking of Shrek whenever I think about this. Ogres are onion, like onions. And it's like we have to pull off all... The metaphor breaks down, but, but we've got to pull off the layers that, that have accumulated, that we've put to try to make ourselves look good, to feel better about ourselves in order to be who we truly are, to be the person that God created, that what the psalmist talks about in Psalm 139, for it was you, God, who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And being truly the person that God knit together, that God created us to be, that's what we're chasing after. That's what we're actually seeking, not all the external stuff. And, and so this, this would be nice if it was something that you could like accomplish in a year, like become fully my true self as your 2024 New Year's resolution. Probably not going to happen, right? Because it's something that's ongoing, not something that we just like make one decision or, or create one new habit and it happens. But it's, it's our life's work is becoming our true selves, the people that God created us to be. And so it's not something that we can accomplish this year. It's not a destination that we can reach. It's something that we live into. But we can make a new beginning uh, on January 1st and, and even starting today. It's something that we can embark on. And this is actually a part of our heritage as Methodists. Beginning in the 1700s, Methodists would use this time of year, either J- December 31st or January 1st, uh, in order to renew their covenant with God to start a new year, to really come back to the commitment in our life that's fundamental, that's most important, and to renew that covenant in, in order to move more fully into who we're created to be in the year to come. And so John Wesley, the founder of Methodist outline five steps for covenant renewal. We'll talk through those. The first two are really preparatory. They're, they're preparing to renew the commitment. The third step's actually making the commitment. And then the fourth and the fifth are about how, how do we continue uh, to live into that commitment throughout the year. And so that's what we're going to look at. And he says the first step is confiding in God confiding in God, becoming aware, aware of where we are and what we need, and then offering that to God. And I think maybe this is the hardest step because our lives are filled with so much noise that we're not even aware of where we are most of the time. We're not even aware of what we really need because we don't have the space to actually recognize it right? I mean, uh, this is not a new insight. I think Pascal said uh, most of the problems in the world, I'm paraphrasing, but uh, are the result of man's inability to sit in a room alone quietly. We're so filled with noise that we can't actually, we don't actually know what's going on. And maybe you've experienced that this week. So maybe you've been with family and uh, you got a little bit annoyed at some point. Anyone? I mean, maybe that was a bad question. Like, raise your hands, especially if they're sitting next to you. But, uh, but we experience those things. And you know that happens. And you think, you know, th- somebody just continues to get on your nerves. And, and you think, what is wrong with you, right? Have you had that thought? And, and actually, the better question is, what is it about me that causes me to feel this way whenever you behave that way? 
right? But we don't get there, right? It's easier just to say they're annoying or whatever it is there, fill in the blank, and then just to say that's it. We don't have to do any internal work that way. I mean, it's kind of nice, right? So it's, oh, it's all your problem. <laughs> Forget the fact that this is a relationship and, and we both have a part in that. But we don't actually see what's going on. And so this is the prayer that, uh, that the psalmist writes about in, in Psalm 139. He's actually asking God to help us to look inside. He writes, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So God, help me to see the things that I can't see about myself. Help me to see the parts of my life that are not consistent with your ways. Help me to see the ways that I cling to a false self and try to get my worth, my meaning out of that instead of getting it from you. Because this is the really hard part. And, and Wesley, John Wesley writing in the 1700s, like he, he put a little bit more zing on things than I usually do. But it, this is what he said. He says, be sure that you are clear in these matters. See that you don't lie to God. See that you don't lie to God. And here's the thing. It's really hard to be honest with God if we're not honest with ourselves. We're the person that we're most in danger of fooling whenever we hold on to things like all the things that constitute our false selves. And if we can't see through that, we're going to have a really hard time being honest with God. And so that's where it starts is really asking God, help me to see the things that I can't see. Help me to see the things that are getting in the way of my relationship with you and with other people. And so we start with confiding in God, asking God to help us, and then offering those things to God, saying, God, help me to see these things, and once we do, help me to eliminate them. Help me to get rid of them from my life. And then the second step is composing your spirit and remembering our place in the world and, and before God. Because most of the time, my, my New Year's resolutions, who are they all about? They're all about me. Like, be a blessing to Courtney has not been a resolution of mine yet, Maybe this year, I don't know, maybe don't hold your breath on that one, dear, but, uh, but right, I mean, they're all about me and what I can accomplish and what's going to make my life better, and, and like, I get the whole, like, put your own mask on first, those things are important, helping ourselves does help other people, but it's easy for us whenever we're in that mindset to get self-focused, and so we have to remember that we're not more important than anyone else, that God has created everyone, and we're also not less important than anyone else, but uh, this is how Paul tells this is how Paul describes it to uh, this kind of concept to the, the church in Rome. He says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned to remember that uh, we're not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought or more lowly, but to recognize that each of us is equal standing before God. Each of us is in desperate need of God's help. And uh, one of the ways that we try to live that out around here, and if you've uh, had a, a membership meeting with uh, Chantel Foster, then you've heard this probably, but uh, one of the things that we say is no one is too good to take out the trash, right? I mean, that's not reserved for a certain group of people or to our, uh, our the people who do our custodial work or to certain people on the staff. It's, it's what all of us do. And so if this is your church home, if, if you're a member, I hope if you see a trash that is overflowing, that you will take it and throw it into the dumpster. And uh, if you need help knowing where the extra, the fresh trash bags are, just ask somebody with a gold name tag. We'll be happy to let you know. But that's, that's not reserved to anyone. None of us is too good for that because that's work that needs to be done. Now, if you're about to serve communion, maybe wait. But, uh, but otherwise, you know, 
this is all of our job. This is the, the, the church, is, is the people of God, and the body of Christ, and all of us contribute. None of us are too good to take out the trash. And so that's step two, composing our spirit, recognizing where we are, where we stand, and uh, as it relates to other people and with God. And then the third step is claiming the covenant, saying, yes, God, I, I want to renew my covenant. I want to follow you. We're saying yes to God's yes to us in Jesus. Or, or as Paul Tillich puts it, we're accepting our acceptance. And whenever we do that, we're really renewing the vows that we make at our baptism and at our confirmation and saying, yes, God, I made this commitment and I want to continue to live into it. It's not just something I did a long time ago. It's something that I'm continuing to say yes to. And whenever we do that, what we're doing, this is what Magritte Vega says. He's the author that we've been using for throughout this sermon series. He says, we trust that God is faithful enough and strong enough to carry us into the future saying, God, I want to go into your future, and I know that you are able to take me there. And so I'm saying, yes, I'm trusting you with my life, with my soul, with all that I am. I'm renewing my covenant with you. As you've been faithful to me, help me to be faithful to you. And so we're renewing that covenant. We're saying yes again to the promises that we made whenever we're baptized. And then step four, as we go into, as we've made this commitment, then we resolve that we're going to continue to live into it every day. We're choosing faithfulness, renewing the promise every morning to be faithful. Because now that I've been married for a super long time, um, what year is it? It's almost, so 13 years, um, which I, I know is, uh, some of you are like, okay, let me know when you get to 20. But one of the things that I do know is that on, on July 17th, 2010, I made a promise. And, and the thing that I said on that one day is not enough to carry me through the next 13 years. I've had to say yes every day. And some days I do that better than others, but it's a commitment that I have to continue to make in order to be a good partner to Courtney. And that's the truth in any relationship that we have. It's not, we don't just say yes at the beginning and then coast. We have to continue to say yes every day. If you want to be a good friend to someone, you don't just like pinky promise or make up a secret handshake whenever you're five and then you're good for the rest of your life. You have to continue to show up and to say yes, and to be there for one another. And it's the same in our commitment to God, right? It's not just something that we say once a year, whenever it's, it's New Year's, or even once whenever we're confirmed or baptized. It's something we continue to say yes to. Say, yes, God, I've said that I want to follow you with everything that I have. And today I'm going to make that commitment again, and I'm going to live into it. And, uh, and so we continue to renew that every day, to say, yes, I'm going to choose faithfulness again today, and I'm going to live it. And this is what Wesley says as we come to the fifth, uh, the fifth one. He says, fifth and last being thus prepared at some convenient time set apart for the purpose, get to work. Like that he's speaking, this doesn't sound like 18th century. Maybe the first part does, but that last part, get to work is like, okay, Edmund people are like, all right, I got that. I can live into that. The interesting thing though, is what he means by get to work. And so what does that work look like? This is what he says. He says, in the most solemn manner possible, I mean, 18th century language, it's just not the same today, is it? In the most solemn manner possible, as if the Lord were visibly present before your eyes, fall down on your knees and spreading forth your hands toward heaven, open your hearts to the Lord. And so what what does getting to work mean? For him, it means praying. It means actually spending time in prayer, recognizing that if we don't depend on God, then all of this other stuff will come to nothing, that we need to rely on God's power. We need to be in relationship with God in order to continue to move forward. And so we get to work. We make prayer a keystone habit to nurture a life with God. 
And, and we say each day, I'm going to spend time with God. And so really, this is something that you might think about as we go into a new year. How is your prayer life? And is there a particular time that you have set aside in order to spend time with God? And that might be an opportunity for you this year to really say, you know, it's, it's not where I want it to be. Here's how I'm going to fix that going into the new year. And then because we've done that, then we're able to live prayerfully in the rest of our lives right? Because prayer is not an end in itself. It's not just something that we do and then we're like, all right, check, what's the rest of my day hold? It's something that we carry with us so that eventually that time that we spend in prayer actually goes into everything else that we do. And our entire lives become an act of prayer, becomes living into that. And and in order to live more fully into being the people that God created us to be because we are deeply formed by that relationship. We're spending time with God every day so that God takes us forward and helps us to see again and again, who am I? Who have you created to be, me to be? And how can I get rid of the things that are taking me away from that? And so this is how, this is how Thomas Merton talks about that. He says, therefore, there is one problem, only one problem on which all my existence, my peace, and my happiness depend to discover myself in discovering God. If I find him, I will find myself. And if I find my true self, I will find him. Because whenever we really know ourselves, we know who we are in relationship to God. Whenever we truly know God, then we know who we are. Those two things are are synergistic and, and lead into one another. We become fully the people that God created us to be. And so whenever we get together next year, what is the, what is the closest Sunday to uh, New Year's next year? Is it the 29th? I think it's, okay, somebody, can, somebody will have Googled it by the time we get outside to the gathering space. But on, on December 29th, 2024, whatever that Sunday is, we'll, we'll look back and say, you know, where have I come in the last year? And, uh, and maybe if I'm preaching that Sunday, you'll see me and you'll be like, wow, he's definitely wearing a bigger jacket than he was last year. <laughs> Because his work with his trainer is going so well, and, uh, and maybe not, most likely not. But here's the thing. If I get really serious about who God has created to me to be, and I do the other things, I exercise, I'm kind to people, I invest in my relationships, those are all great. But if I become more truly who I'm created to be, then all those other things will take care of themselves and will become in the years to come, the people that God has created us to be. And so here's how I want to invite you to live that out over the next week and into the new year. As you think about that, I know uh, we're kind of running out of time whenever people are off work and uh, maybe you won't go back, maybe you go back on Tuesday or in the days after that, but take some time this week, set aside some real time to reflect on the ways that you are chasing after your false self. What are the things that I cling on to that are taking me away from who God created me to be? What are the things that I try to hold on to to give myself meaning instead of seeking the meaning in who God has made me to be? And, and to actually think about those things, to, to confide in God and offer those things up to God. And then I invite you to go through this process and, and renew your covenant with God. And one specific way that you can do that this week, and it's on the sermon notes, um, if you've got those or in the app, um, it's available there as well, is to renew your covenant with God daily this week by praying the Wesley Covenant Prayer each day. That's a prayer that's been handed down that comes out of this service that we've been talking about and uh, really is helpful in helping us to set our priorities on what matters most. And so I want to close today by praying that prayer, and then we'll go into the Lord's prayer prayer together. And so I invite you to pray this prayer with me. 
I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. And let's pray now together the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.